1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
0: hello and welcome to the curzon film podcast with great anticipation the day shall come and it has so we're talking about chris morris's latest satire and to its breakout star marshall davis plus they say when a man has grown tired of the london film festival he's grown tired of life our eyes might be propped up by toothpicks at this point, but we're not there yet. We're talking about our LFM highlights so far, too. I'm Jake Cunningham, and joining me this week, a debut appearance from Duncan Carson. Hi, Jake. And sadly, another appearance <laughs> from Sam Howlett. Hi, Jake. Oh, Sadly, no Kelly here to improve things considerably. <laughs> uh, how many coffees have we had in the last week, gents? Then
1: I i ninety percent coffee now. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> starting to feel like the lighthouse is more just a, a documentary about being locked in a screening room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely.
2: Um, I'd like to see mermaids everywhere.
0: And <laughs> um, we're going to be spilling beans all about that one in just a bit. Oh, you shouldn't have spilled your beans. <laughs>
2: I'm going to be doing that a lot. Yeah, for the next year, please no.
0: uh, But before we get to our LFF highlights uh, so far, we're going to start with The Day Shall Come. Uh, This one is all about an impoverished preacher played by Marshawn Davis who's attempting to bring hope to the Miami Project and is offered cash to save his family from eviction. However, he's got no clue that his sponsor works for the FBI and in search of promotion, they've got big dreams on turning Moses and his followers into the next big terrorist threat to America. So before we delve into that chat that you had with Marshon, um, Duncan, how are we feeling about this film? A new, a new Chris Morris vehicle.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time, and um, you know, I, I think people overuse the word genius, but definitely someone who's meant a lot to me in my life. You know, just the kind of like quality of everything he brings to his work is just. Yeah, it's very impressive, um, and I think the time couldn't be riper for this kind of for his kind of savage but totally on point, um, cutting satire. Just with you know the likes of Trump and Brexit, we seem to be living in Brass Eye. So the time is right for Chris Morris to return.
0: Absolutely, and uh, behind this one, we've also got Jesse Armstrong, who people would know is like writing on Peep Show, but also one of the best Black Mirror episodes, and also Succession at the moment as well. And at the centre of this is Marshawn Davis, uh, who plays Moses Al-Shabazz, who is the, who's this preacher trying to uh, kind of battle against gentrification and set up his own church uh, in Miami. And it's it's a star-making performance, and you were lucky enough to talk to him all about it, weren't you, Dan?
1: Yeah, it was really good to meet Marshawn. You know, this is his first screen role, really, straight out of drama school. Um, but things have really gone stratospheric for him, not just with The Day Shall Come. You know, he actually... He was uh, slightly worse for wear on the interview, but still great company, um, having j- literally just arrived that morning and flying back in the evening to go back on Broadway. So, um, yeah, really yeah, really exciting guy and good to speak to him. I'm very happy to be sitting here with uh, Marchant Davis, um, who's the star of Chris Morris's new project, The Day Shall Come. Um, Marchant, thank you so much for joining us on the Curves and Podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, in the film, you play uh, Moses, who is a fighter in the... A battle against the accidental dominance of the white race. Um and so I guess what well, the first thing I you know, I think a lot of people will be coming to this project with, you know, a lot of connection with um Chris Morris's work. Did you have that kind of connection yourself? Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, so like, how did you sort of kind of come about it? Like, you know, was that something you looked at before doing the project, you know, between getting the
3: role and then? Landing? Yeah. So um, I think it's it sort of happened over the audition process. It's like it was a pretty long, extensive audition process. It was like a three, four month thing. Uh, and I went in mm, probably four or five times uh, with Chris, uh, sometimes just to talk with them for like an hour or so. And then the next day we put something on tape and so I think with the first time after the first time I went and I watched Four Lions and then I started watching like Veep and Black Mirror and then it wasn't until like later where I watched Brass Eyes <laughs> okay yeah. uh, you, that laugh as you know uh, well it's a, it a
1: baptism of fire especially in the UK you yeah know, like um, I mean I suppose the question I have is like was that something you were you know given his kind of um, reputation for controversy, and maybe mm-hmm. you weren't aware of like where the whole role was going. Was that something you had any kind of trepidation about? Um, uh, wh- what do you mean? Were you concerned about sort of, you know, kind of
3: like what you might be getting yourself into? Well, the thing is, I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't watch, Bra- I didn't discover Brass Eye until after I got the role. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, not unfortunately. It's, <laughs> it's just so like, I, so I didn't, I, I wasn't, I couldn't come to those conclusions. I, I think that's probably good because. I was pretty. When I saw Brass Eyes, I watched Pedophilia, and I was like, I think I'm watching something very bad, and this is <laughs> sh- probably banned somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, 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 there was a lot of calls to it at the time.
1: Yeah. Um. So I suppose uh, the next, you know, can I think. Was you know much as someone who um has like like genuine conviction, even though he's maybe going about it in quite a cockeyed way. Yeah, you mean uh, Moses? Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I just want to help your viewers. Sorry, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Your yeah, listeners. So, uh, yeah, um. So yeah. So is it like what was it something that kind of like um resonated with your own experience of living in America?
3: I mean, yes. Um, for me, it was just like it's a couple things. So Moses is like a character that doesn't know failure. He doesn't like. You like when the the walls are caving in. He still is trying to find a way to win. I didn't mean to rhyme there, but it just happened. Um, and so, like, for for me, that was like different than what I would typically like do or think. Because I think off the bat, I would just be like, "Well, nah, <laughs> I'm doomed from jump." You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and so,
1: you know, like. Were you that aware of, like, the real... Like, this is a film that has a lot of research that's Mm -hmm. gone into it. Like, were you that aware of, kind of, like, um, the real-life equivalence of, of, you know, the results? Like, when you're watching a film, you kind of... You, it's very funny, and uh, you know, and like as much as there's sort of poignant moments, it's it's when you get to that end credit sequence when you realize that these are you know real real stories. Yeah. Um So is, we'll ha- is that when you realize? Well, yeah. So certainly, it's something I was aware of. You know, as you don't have to be, a, you know, like yeah, it, you have to be a fool not to be aware of these kind of things happening mm-hmm. to people, and this, you know. But it's certainly kind of like a gut punch at that point.
3: Yeah, it is a gut punch. You know, for me, um it happened early, pretty early on in the audition process like chris would say something um and he would tell me like uh, he would talk to me about the liberty city seven with the guys in chicago and i'd be like oh snap that sounds like this group in west philly called the move organization and the crazy thing is right off the bat i was able to give another example yeah <laughs> so like chris is like open in the opening credits it says it's based off a hundred true stories like i th- i think that's why it is yeah, no, totally. I think that's really brings a sort of, you know, all of his
1: work has that kind of like diamond hard kind of like strong research backing up the comedy. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in the same way, kind of like thinking about you building the role, like Moses is definitely someone who could have been a caricature. He's like, you know, a dinosaur summoning cult leader with only a following of four. Um, mm. But you you bring something really sympathetic to mm. um to the role. So what was your approach to kind of like creating that?
3: It's
1: like five including venus <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry okay okay you checking me all the way through here. no i like it i like it i like it good okay you've got to get the details right uh, okay
3: with uh but
1: what was it uh so how would how would you go how did you go about sort of creating the role and finding your route to for, like sort of for bringing me, that kind of
3: reality to it I'm sorry i think the reason i was like five including venus is because for me it was venus okay she's like sort of the moral compass yeah and so as like things are sort of aspiring out of spiraling out of control like, she's the one person who's like, mm, I think, I think, I think we might be in too deep. I think that that's not the way to go until, like, there's a point in which it fractures, she breaks. Um, and so, for me, it was like making sure that that uh, string was taught, mm-hmm. um, that relationship was taught, that string was uh, tight, and like that everybody understood that he is a family man and he's doing this. He's he's trying to get this money for his family at the end of the day. So that that's that's uh, where I sort of like uh, dug in to find that is through Venus, through Danielle, uh, through that relationship, Um, because without her, like the story wouldn't exist.
1: That's great. And um, so um, what did you think you learned anything about comedy from working with Chris Morris? Was you know, was like, you know, kind of like comedic sort of acting, something you had a lot of experience in?
3: Huh. Was well, comedic acting something I had a lot of... You, I, I, exp, acting? I act... <laughs> <and> so, um... <laughs> jet lag kicking in. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's... I I I learned how to roll with the punches on this one because... There were so so many different. I mean, the cast is pretty big, as you can see, and there there are even some p- folks in there that you that didn't even make the the cut, the final cut, like Rupert Friend. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and so, for me, it's like really rolling with the punches and like um, learning how to find the opportunities. Jim Gaffigan was like great with that. He was like, I think there's an op- there's a missed opportunity here. He would say things like that. And with K-Van, he would always just, like, look for the comic observations. What's funny in a moment? What makes this thing funny? Um, and I tried to be the best thief on set. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I tried to steal from those guys, you know? Because they're like, I mean, you've seen a stand You've seen Jim's yeah. stand-up specials. Or maybe you haven't, but you, I'm sure you no, I'm familiar, are familiar yeah. with it. yeah. Him. yeah. Um, no, that's
1: great. Um, so uh, I suppose one of the things that's quite interesting about the film is it's very, you know, really, it's like quite, for a lot of it, it's two parallel stories that then converge in, like as it as it reaches its end. Mm-hmm. Was that something, you know, you're very separate from the FBI until those kind of moments. Was that something that was mirrored in production or are you kind of
3: like uh, mixing up with those guys? Oh, we all hung out together. We all hung out. It, it's very, you, you're made very aware, especially when it's black and white. <laughs> um I'm just going to call it what it is. Yeah, sure. Uh, you're made very aware. So I think inevitably we just as like humans and as like actors who like love the work, we're, they, everybody was so giving and generous. So like, I remember on the first day of the table read, Dennis O'Hara and me met for the first time in uh, transport. And Dennis looks at me and he goes, you're the guy. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, sure. Uh, and he said, Uh He said, you're number one. And I'm like, Dennis, what does that mean? I was like, I know we just met, but what does that mean? Because everybody keeps saying it. And to y'all, I think it holds a lot of weight that it doesn't hold for me. It was my first project out of uh, acting school. So I was like, for y'all, that holds a lot of weight that it doesn't hold for me. And very kindly, he goes, you know, uh, in my career, I've been a solid number three and number four. Occasionally, I'm a number two. (laughs) But I digress. And he said, number one's job is to sort of uh, set the tone for how we're gonna work. They're the ones who do what I'm doing right now. They they they're like the face, and we get to do it together. And I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, and from that moment on, me and Dennis, like, I was just like, boom, like best <laughs> friend. Also, Dennis, we filmed the Dominican Republic, and Dennis O'Hare speaks like three languages, so he also speaks Spanish and fr- and French. So like there were ha- there were creoles, uh, creole uh, Haitian up. Uh, sorry creole speaking people in uh dr and so like i just stuck by dennis because he could speak to anybody <laughs>
1: okay i mean you make a great number one but it's definitely like an amazing ensemble cast, yeah. and that's the strength of it so um yeah you clearly clearly led your people just as you uh, led the cult um <laughs> so um i guess there's a bit of a more of a general question but like this is a very like a great satire um Mm -hmm. you know about something that's you know really relevant now depressingly um but how do you see satire you know functioning is it something that just take our mind off things or do
3: you think that satire kind of has the power to help us fight back i think all things should i don't think anything should allow us to take our mind off things i mean i think even in even in the like most lighthearted of comedies, there's still like an ounce of truth, which is why we watch it. Otherwise, we're just watching fluff and we get bored after a while, mm. um, or at least I do. Maybe there are some people who like it. Um, do I feel like it? Yeah, no, I, I feel like I, I actually, I feel like I've one of the things you asked me earlier, like what I, what did I learn? I learned that I love satire and I love this like brand of comedy. Like I, uh, I started to sort of look up you know other followers or like imitators or folks like chris um fell in love i don't mean to call them imitators or anything like that sorry because <laughs> i'm about to say that name armando Anucci. um sure. i watched Defa of stalin and i was like oh i love this like this is like right up my alley or like uh what we do in the shadows i watched the original how do you say like taika watiti taika taika watiti um like stuff like that it's like like i i i i've found that like that actually speaks to me more than I ever could have imagined. And this film has sort of like opened my mind to that in my palette, okay. um, to what my taste is. Great. Um, so this is your first major
1: screen role. Yes, it um, is. How was it? You know, it sounded like it's quite an extended interview, like sort of audition
3: process. Yeah. How was it when you got the call? When I got the call, I was working at this not-for-profit that I work at all the time, just in between stuff and i went out to the side and i was like (laughs) i was like uh i was like what's up i was like what are y'all doing together all my agents and managers got on the call and they were like we'll let we'll let such and such uh tell you and he tells me and i go april fools (laughs) and they're like no what it's april 2nd and and i like went to go check my phone and i was like oh shucks (laughs) <laughs> I was like, wait, I really got it? And so I was, I think I was in disbelief for a good like five minutes. And then I called my mom and I was like, I got the job. I got the job! <laughs> it was, uh, I have 50 cents in my account. So it was like, <laughs> it was like one of those like relievers. I mean, I've been very blessed out of school, out of acting school to sort of uh jump from thing to thing. uh but in this business, you know, there's a lot of no's before there are yeses. I think, I mean, I may have only been, what, seven, six or so months out of school. But I think I probably heard at that point over 100 no's. Um, so it was like, when, I think the night before, I was actually at a bar with my friend. And I was like, I can't do it. I was like, I don't know if I can, like... I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I could stay in New York. Maybe I'll just go in Philly and I can still like, then I can still bear the, like I can still try there, but like I can't afford to like sort of try to make this work in this way here in New York city. And then the next day I got that call and I was like, well, look at God. (laughs) Great stuff. (laughs) Won't Uh, you do it?
1: (laughs) And so, um, who, who else has said yes to, and you've said yes to in the future, Who, who else are you looking
3: forward to working with? Uh, (laughs) Taika <laughs> up Oh, great! Well, fantastic. Uh, Boots Riley, Edgar Wright. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, it's funny. I like. I love. I love some of the Brits. I w- yeah. I would love to work with Armando. I would love to work with Jordan Peele. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's. I mean, there's so many people. There's so many actors I would love to work with. Um, I'm I'm really blessed right now because I like being on Broadway and work with Brian Cox. He's like one of those actors that I've always looked up to. And, like, admire. In fact, I was in London seven years ago studying at the British American Drama Academy for, for the summer, their Midsummer in Oxford program. And I met Brian Cox there because he did the Q&A. Wow. Yeah, so. So it's going full circle. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Thanks very much, on And
1: I really appreciate it. Thank uh, you. I hope to see you in some plenty of stuff in the future. Yes. Great. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash/achieve today.
0: Okay, so let's jump into the day shall come. It has basically it's been a decade since Four Lions, uh, so a long, long time that people have been waiting on new Chris Morris. There have been a few episodes of Veep um, dotted around, um, but this one's yeah certainly been a long time coming. It was actually filmed two years ago now, um, and. I think when when you kind of hear that, you you worry like, what what is this going to be? Um, like, is this going to be Terence Malick like coming back? <laughs> is this going to be Chris Morris's song to song? Um, <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's absolutely not that. And I think it's in that in that decade we've actually seen him uh, become become angrier, more damning than he ever has been.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely someone who takes his time with research you know there's a title card that pops up at the start of the film based on 100 true stories and you know that Morris has really put the work in um, and the authenticity really shows he, he doesn't none of the satire is you know surf superficial he really cuts deep um, and I think also he kind of you know, in the 10 years since Four Lions, which he also did the same amount of research. I think we've been, you know, there's more of a conversation about who gets to tell stories. And, you know, obviously there'd be a question in, with anyone else. Why are you white middle-class dude from um, from Britain writing a story about, you know, uh, black nationalists um, who are the, well, wannabe black nationalists, uh, revolutionaries who want to rise up. But I think, you know, he, just through the sheer kind of commitment he shows to these stories. Um, you could tell talking to Marchant that, you know, there was no question that this, that, um, Chris Morris really understood the experience.
0: Yeah. And and he really bounced around America on the research on this. And you wonder whether those hundred true stories are genuinely a hundred that have been told direct to his face, like, um, going to areas like this, going to prisons, um, just really going, really going deep on this one. um, and yeah, Marshall is is fantastic in this and he he does carry the film. He's he's got a confidence that is really impressive for a first screen role to properly carry this and to really hold his own against someone like I don't know, like Anna Hendrick and Dennis O'Hare, who's such an impressive character actor who can do comedy so well that we've seen in satire like this before, but also stuff like American Horror Story, who's just like this huge presence. And Marshawn totally stands up with him Mm. in terms of performance. And I think Anna Kendrick is really good in there. Who's delving back into a performance more similar to her working up in the air. Um, It's a bit more ruthless, a bit more witty and it was refreshing to get that Anna Kendrick back on screen as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Marshawn really what the role requires of him is like a complete self-confidence of the, you know, someone who's not really all together there. Um, at, although he does waver from time to time, um, you know, there's that sort of kind of mesmerising, like how could you get people to buy into you as a cult leader? And he really he really lands that. But it's a great ensemble cast, you know, lots of people who, you know, character actors who you, you go, oh yeah, I know that guy. Um, you know, some like great piece from Jim Gaffigan as a sort of uh, a Nazi um, leader. Um, but it kind of really has that quality of, you know, the thick of it where you get, you know, kind of like intense verbal fireworks um, that then are just glossed over and just it moves so fast and entertainingly that, you know, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that work that he's done on Veep has maybe slipped into this, uh, particularly in the scenes that are involving more the FBI than the al Marshall and the church um, as they're kind of planning this incredibly convoluted um, but hilarious plot to frame on as the next terrorist threat to America by selling him weapons and using Kevan Novak who has also been captured by the FBI and been forced to do their bidding for him as well um, and the ludicrousness of it the farce of it is fantastic and come the end of the film is almost made worse by the fact of how real it ends up being in mm. the final 10 minutes
2: So I haven't seen this yet but I'm a big Four Lines fan and that film was something that I think shouldn't have worked at all. And when it came out, everyone was like, "This is a terrible idea for a film," but has since become—I don't know—what do you call it, a cult hit? I don't know, or is it just a general hit? Like,
0: I think it was a hit. at Yeah, time.
2: I mean, every, like, it's one of the films that everyone's seen, everyone loves, and this looks like it's, you know, it's treading on similar ground.
1: How does it compare to that Four lines? Do you think it will? I think as as I mean, I think it's similarly timeless. You know, mm-hmm. you could have hoped that Morris would really go hard on you know some something that's really just current now like you know a trump but you know god willing you know that will pass quite quickly whereas the targets he wants to land are about deeper questions Mm. and yeah it's more like
0: institutional uh levels of anger here rather than just like picking and choosing easy easy jokes and easy villains Mm -hmm. um it's far more deeper stuff and i think his flair for imagery since Four Lions has definitely been expanded here. Like there are proper, there are images here like on like in a pirate hat on a horse down a street, yeah, which are, are really thrilling to see like up on a big screen like that. Um, and I think that is really something that he's taken on since Four Lions as well.
1: Yeah, I think this is something that you know you can return to as I did with Four Lions and sort of see. Depressingly, how little things change, and the sort of like the righteousness of what he's talking about really, really sustains over the years. Yeah, I, d- I don't know if
0: it's got as many laughs as Four Lions. I think uh, as much as like it is an angrier film, that does kind of weigh down on the comedy side yeah. of it a little
1: bit. I would agree. I think that sometimes that the level of research kind of maybe sort of clouds the sort of a more kind of chaotic energy that you have with Four Lions. I mean, it would make a good double bill with uh, The Report, which is coming mm. in November for uh, films, for good and extremely weird double bill with The Report um, for sort of films about uh, gross government overreaching mm. power under the war on terror.
0: Mm. All right, well, why don't we move on to The Report as one of our LFF highlights. Um, so we're going to just spend a few minutes now picking out some of the stuff that we've been lucky enough to see that we're gearing up to over the next few months and releasing in cinemas. Um and Sam, let's start with you. Uh, you you plucked the report as a favourite of yours from the festival so far.
2: I did. Yes, yeah, so the report tells the true story of Dan Jones, who was a uh, in Senate investigator looking into the government's use of torture during the War on Terror. And Adam Driver plays Dan Jones. And what's really great about this film is that it is a sort of, in a way, it's kind of an old school political thriller, and. You know it's it's not homeland it's not twenty four It's about someone just being really good at their job and doing their job really well, and the heroism in that and Adam driver is incredible as Dan Jones and at Benning is there as Dianne Feinstein the um uh California senator who kind of was overseeing the investigation and yeah, it does a great job of breaking down um as Duncan said, the government's kind of scandalous of overreach of power during this time and sort of as the investigation deepens, you see the way that the government tried to justify the torture of um potential terrorists and how they then tried to cover it up and the fact that they there's this like weird bit where they like hire these two outside guys to kind of in basically invent all the ways that they could justify torture. Um but as I said, you know, this is a real sort of it's quite a grounded film. It's not super um, sensationalized. It's you know, It's just about someone doing the right thing and just being really, really good at their job. Kind of in the way that All the President's Men was, where it's just about, at the end of the day, it's just people writing.
1: Yeah, it's extreme what, that, paperwork.
2: It's extreme paperwork, yeah. <laughs> the last 20 minutes when he's writing the bibliography, and he's got to get all those names right. Oh.
0: Yeah, is he doing Harvard referencing? Yeah. <laughs> no, he's doing, uh, what's the M? M-H-L-A, the other one. You've been out of education too long. (laughs) I know, I can't remember what it was. (laughs) Um, And that's definitely part of a double bill of Adam Driver going for Oscar nominations. It is, yeah. yeah.
2: (laughs) So the other film that I saw at LFF and really loved was Marriage Story. This is the Noah Baumbach film starring Adam Driver again, alongside Scarlett Johansson as a married couple with a child who live in New York. And then they're going through a divorce and... I left this film where I really liked it, but I didn't love it. But since then, I realised I hadn't really stopped thinking about it. And there's certain scenes that just keep playing over in my head, like whether they're funny scenes or heartbreaking scenes, that I just keep thinking about and keep thinking about how they fit into the wider narrative of that film and lead into what happens next. And I think, yeah, this is actually an incredible film and anchored by two of perhaps you know the biggest actors at the moment. Yeah, it's a really astounding film and I think a lot of people are going to fall in love with this film. There's one moment where Adam Driver sings Being Alive from a Stephen Sondheim's company and it's one of those scenes where it's like a one-take thing. He sings the whole song in a bar and I just keep thinking about that scene and keep thinking, yeah, this is he's so good in this film and we all love Adam Driver but I really think this is going to be the one to at least get him a nomination, maybe a win.
0: Wow! Um, I mentioned during our episode on Blinded by the Light how much I'm a sucker for a quivering lip from a male character.
2: Oh, there! I've heard there's a good Gee, lip quiver. Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen
0: that because he's got quite a big bottom lip as well, and it does not
2: stop flapping around. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, um, and there's one more that we've we've already teased, uh, and people I'm sure are already very excited about. Uh, are right. yeah. keeping <laughs> secrets, are ye? <laughs> Uh, you two have both been lucky enough to see the lighthouse, yes. is that right? And I know Duncan. When I asked you, uh, I asked you both to send me your favourites. You were both straight in with the
2: lighthouse.
1: Yeah, oh, nice. I, I, I ceded to Sam because you know I didn't want to end up in some Davy Jones's locker. <laughs> <laughs> this is an incredible film, and incredible because it's so weird and doesn't
2: hold anything back. This is the lighthouse, which is Robert Eggers' follow-up to The Witch. Which, if you saw a few years ago, you know that he has a particular brand of horror film, although I'd say this is much less of a horror film and far more of a, I don't know what to call it. Mm. Uh, Robert Pattinson and William Defoe play two men looking after a lighthouse in the early 1900s. And it's pretty much just a two-hander. Or is it? Um, and <laughs> it's very much looking at sort of this sort of feeling of cabin fever and just people getting lower and lower into hell. And... The The Witch is actually, I think The Witch is a very restrained film in many ways. It holds a lot back and when there's like these moments of extreme horror, it's really jarring in The Witch. In this, this happens in almost every scene that something crazy will happen. And also Willem Dafoe really goes for the salty sea captain. He's got a big beard, bad teeth, a limp, smokes a pipe and he's his accent is, it's, it's the sea captain from The Simpsons and it's Steve the Pirate from Dodgeball. It's He's not. He's little not fully a
1: little bit of Captain Birdseye. Captain Birdseye as well. Then. It's it's he's full got, on sea captain. The birdseye at sometimes, yeah. but
2: um, yeah, uh, one you you have to see it to believe it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we look forward to getting them on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, later in whenever that film comes out, January, January, yeah. in January. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough to. Uh, do some red carpet interviews for that one. And Robert Egg has said that he just wanted to make a film about the madness of two men sleeping inside a giant phallus. (laughs) That
1: sums the film up. I mean, the images deliver on that promise.
0: (laughs) All right. Um, And Duncan, so you've made some alternate picks here as well. Um, And... We'll start with Saint Maud.
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, similar, similarly to uh, Sam's pick of The Lighthouse, you know, kind of like um, what I'm loath to call uh, elevated horror. Um, but so this is a debut film that's been gone straight into competition at LFF rather than competing in the uh, Sutherland Award. Um, I think just because it's just would have probably mopped the floor with every other film in that category, but terrific debut. Um, so Maud played by Morford Clark is, um, she's a religious fanatic. And when you kind of meet her, you don't really, you know, something pretty horrific happened to her to cause this conversion, but you can't, re- you know, it only gets teased out as the film continues, but she's become a palliative care nurse looking after, uh, Jennifer Ely, who's a formerly famous, um, dance company leader, um, and it's kind of got that really sort of amazing chamber piece, creeping energy, much, much like the lighthouse in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's kind of got a vibe of Rosemary's baby that you're not really sure what's real and what's not, you know, really making the domestic something that is uh, disturbing beyond beyond measure. Um, you know, like whether it's, you know, it's kind of like you sort of start to see the sort of uh, fires of hell in a, in a can of Campbell's uh, cream of tomato soup. Um, I think this is really really terrific film. And, and it
0: does it in something like a tight 80 minutes 83 it? minutes wow. you know
1: that's what you want to see when you're yeah. at the festival lineup. Um, you know it's just beautifully shot and I think you know if you liked First Reformed um, but maybe slightly slightly more humorous um, I think this is the kind of film you want to be looking at
2: and it's been picked up by A24 in America yeah. which I know we shouldn't worship the ground A24 walks on all the time but if they've picked up a film this small and obscure,
0: I think that's a very good sign.
2: Yeah, Mm.
1: so, yeah, they picked up after the Toronto um, premiere. So, um, yeah, and it'll be out um, via Studio Canal in the UK sometime next year.
0: Okay, and your next pick has probably got one of the most unique titles uh, of the festival. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Dogs Don't Wear Pants.
1: Yeah, so the superbly titled Dogs Don't Wear Pants from Finland is um, Yepe Valkipa's drama that's set inside the world of BDSM and kink. Um, And at the start of the film, it's no spoiler to say that Juha um, loses his wife um, in tragic circumstances um, and shortly afterwards, via a chance encounter uh, in a tattoo parlor, he bumps into um, Mona, who is a dominatrix, who he starts having sessions with. Um, although, like the context is, you know, within this kind of kinky scene, um, the kind of way it plays out is very much like a rom com, or I'm really sorry about this dom com, uh, <laughs> uh, and it's it, you know it, it ends up in a place that's really sweet, and I think. Over the last few years, kinksters have not been shed, uh, like very well served in the cinema with the likes of Fifty Shades. But um, this film uh, doesn't really kind of try to create a metaphor around kink or pathologise it. You know, like people are damaged who, you know, are seeking this out or sensationalise it. It just lands in a really fun, exciting, um, sort of darkly humorous place. I think people who like um, uh, the films of Ruben Ostlund, um, like The Square, would definitely. Um, vibe to this film's deadpan humour um, and it's going to be coming out next year via anti-worlds distribution
0: and actually mentioning the the dom-com I would recommend the the second episode of season three of Joe Swanberg's easy
1: oh right yeah which yeah, actually yeah, does terrific, have, yeah I've seen that yeah it's
0: a really good episode yeah um, and um, maybe a nice companion to that film uh, and lastly it's time to talk about what we talk about when we talk about talking about trees
1: Okay, yeah. So uh, (laughs) um, talking about trees um, is quite a small documentary um, from Sudan. um, And it follows four men who are filmmakers from Sudan trying to set up a cinema um, in the military dictatorship, um, as it was then um, under Omar al-Bashir. and obviously they've faced a lot of challenges. You know, there's a lot of um, suppression. You know, there's a lot of suspicion. Um, but this isn't kind of you know a, a sort of wounded or depressing story of censorship. You know, it's really charming, and there's lots of kind of small slapstick moments. And to be honest, you just see these four guys who have been totally you know faced every restriction under the regime, and you know there's this level of sadness about their struggle and the fact they haven't been able to make the films that they wanted to make. And you see great clips from their films. But ultimately, you know, this it's a very hopeful film that kind of shows that there's still, you know, even in their 70s, level of excitement about sharing the joy of cinema. Um, and also, you know, it's nice to watch a film about a positive political story, um, because obviously, you know, although it doesn't end on the most upbeat of notes, since the film's been um, made, uh, thanks to a mass public uh, uprising in Sudan, um, they're, they're heading towards democracy and Al-Bashir is uh, out the window after sort of 30 plus years of uh, military relationship. So really sweet film about, you know, a country that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about. Yeah,
0: so make a note of that one. That is talking about trees. Uh, and I think if I could just pick one recommendation from there, I'm going to go for The House of Us, which is from Yoon ga It's a Korean film. Uh, it's a first-time feature, and that's about uh, kind of three kids whose parents kind of are either separating or ignoring them, and they're left to kind of fend for themselves. And it's definitely kind of treads in the kind of footsteps of someone like Hirokazu Koreeda, Um, it's maybe a little bit lighter, uh, and, but it's, it's just really sweet and it, it kind of tackles those similar themes that would be across his, his films, like really focusing on, on, uh, kind of intimacy of family beyond the genetic and the little moments about food and particular rooms and the, the way we occupy them, uh, it's it's a really lovely film and and i hope that people do get the opportunity to see that one as well is that going to get uk distribution we don't know yet
1: okay Uh, come on come on this is a challenge uk distributors pick this one up
0: yeah uk distributors pick up the house of us challenge (laughs) (laughs) uh all right and so that's that's the london film festival which is is continuing for a few more days at least so if you haven't got along to it try and get along to it if you can but as we mentioned uh these are, these are some of our highlights so far which hopefully, well a lot of them will be coming to cinemas and maybe some of them will get picked up to do the same as well um, but if you can't make it to the cinema and you want to watch something at home, Sam what's happening on home cinema? Uh,
2: so this week uh, you can watch American Woman, so this is a mystery thriller drama starring Sienna Miller and Sienna Miller is someone I think we all know but she hasn't feels she hasn't quite broken out with like a definitive role yet and I think this is really the one that people will remember her for it's uh you know incredible performance and she really you know she's the real heart of this film so yeah check out American Woman
0: I'm beginning to think you haven't seen the film Burnt with Bradley Cooper. <laughs> I, th- I
2: think you might be right.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, and if you've got any thoughts on The Day Shall Come or our LFF highlights, then you can let us know by tweeting at Curzon Cinemas or you can tweet or follow all of us directly. I'm there as Jake H. Cunningham. Sam, you're on Twitter as?
1: At Sam Howlett underscore one.
0: And Duncan, what about you?
1: Uh, you can find me at No Wolves Please, PLS.
0: PLS. All right. Uh, well, And uh, I think that that's about it until our next episode where we'll be talking about nonfiction, which we're very excited about. If it's your first time listening to the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, ACAST, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And whilst you're there, if you could leave us a review or a comment, that'd be absolutely wonderful. Um, But I think that is about it. The day has come and we shall uh, see it in cinemas. Bye bye.